Hello from Cyberry and Delinea, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cyberry podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cyberry.it. From all of us at Cyberry and Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the 401 Access Denied podcast. I'm the host, Joe Carson. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And it's so exciting. I, I really enjoy the, I mean, having the amazing guests on the show really makes a difference. And I'm again joined by another amazing guest, somebody I've met quite a number of years ago already. Um, so welcome to the show today. Welcome, Mackenzie. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and even some things that you know maybe people don't even know about you. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Joe. Uh, yeah. So Mackenzie is my name. Uh, I'm the security developer advocate uh, at GitGuardian, which is a security vendor. Before that, I was the co-founder and CTO of a company in Australia called Compago, which still exists today. Um, and yeah, I mean, something that most people don't know about me. I, <laughs> I grew up in the circus, so I have the extreme hippie parents. We were always traveling around. And uh, I decided to rebel and get into IT and tech where we're suits and <laughs> another circus. You, you, you joined a different, circus. Yeah, yeah, a different yeah. type of circus. Uh, we joined the, the technology circus because sometimes that's what it feels like. <laughs> so, sure. so, but it's, it's great to have you on the episode today. I'm really excited about today's conversation because it's something I think uh, we've, we, you know, in previous episodes, we've had a few people touching it. We've had, uh, you know, Dustin Hayward, you know, also known as, uh, Evil Mog, and we had uh, uh, Carlos pull up, and we touched on a little bit, of, which is all about secrets. And okay. one of the big themes, you know, today's episode is all about, you know, where where are attackers looking for secrets, and what are secrets, and how are they discovering them, and how can they abuse them? And ultimately, you know, of course, we don't, you know, secrets can be a form of many things. It can be passwords, it can be tokens, it can be mm -hmm. keys, it can be, you know, simply just hard coded passwords and passphrases. Um, you know, so secrets is basically that, you know top terminology for everything, even pins, uh, et cetera. So, um, so one of the things is, you know, this is something that you specialize and look into and, uh, you know, spend a lot of time on, um, you know, where, where, where are the attackers looking for and discovering uh, secrets today? What, what's the, what's the places that they're finding them? Yeah. Well, I mean, like just about everywhere. When you, when you look at, I mean, a good place to start is, is the OWASP top 10. When you look at the, the, OWASP top 10, what number one is broken access control. Mm -hmm. And within that, it's uh, leaked credentials or unprotected credentials, which is basically talking about secrets. So, mm -hmm. you know, where we find them, it really depends. And it depends on what the attacker is trying to do because secrets are very unique. They can be used in so many different mm -hmm. parts of an attack. So they can be your initial access. So if we talk about initial access, how do attackers find secrets initially and kind of break into our organization well there's a lot of places at git guardian we recently just released our state of secret scroll report now in this we, we scan public github repositories mm -hmm. uh, and we we scan every single commit that's made throughout the year so in 2022 we scanned over a billion commits Whoa. <laughs> of those billion commits we found 10 million secrets now bear in mind this is just in public repositories and these are things like cloud provider keys, their database access, 
their API keys, and we can actually verify a lot of these. So we check with the provider, hey, is this a valid key? So we can be pretty sure that that number, 10 million, is, it, and these, this isn't just kind of a, a random strings that look like secrets. These are pretty accurate. So this, so going back to that initial access point, uh, let's look at public GitHub's as initial access. Last year, uh, a company called Toyota, may have heard of it. Um, they, they have an application called T-Connect. And they had a consultant working on this application. Five years, they had accidentally, five years ago, they accidentally open sourced their, their source code for this. They had it accidentally in a, in a repository. There was a secret inside that that gave access to the entire databases of all T-Connect users. So this is an example of, of an, how an attacker found a key in a public space, used it to move into a system. Mm -hmm. Another example, we also scan for secrets in places like Docker Hub and mm -hmm. Docker Images. About 5% of Docker Images contain an extractable plain text secret. A, a few years ago, you may remember there was a big breach with CodeCov, a supply mm -hmm. chain attack. How that all started, you know, and all these companies were breached as a result of that, including massive ones, Rapid7, Twilio. How all that started? Elite credential in a public Docker image yeah. on CodeCov's. So, and what you're, so what you're, also, like, you're also finding a lot of even developers who who are trying to make sure that you know they have ease of access. And even the last two years or three years, mm -hmm. people working remotely. So what they've done is they've cloned repositories which were originally private and copied some of those or forked it into their own repositories, and, and which are now public. Um, and you just hope that you know that they have changed or rotated the original uh, token that was used uh, before that happened. But um, it's not always the case. Yeah, that, uh, exactly right. I mean, there's so many places. You've got to remember is that uh, source code is a very, very leaky asset, right? So, okay, we've got a private repository. What happens? All right, immediately that source code hits that private repository. It's then cloned onto all the developers that are using it. Mm -hmm. This could be everyone in the company. Uh, it's backed up. It's probably in a wiki. It's shared on messaging systems, code snippets. So code, you can never trust. It's in one spot. So, you know, if you're going to have secrets in there, it's a very unreliable place and they definitely can end up public. And yeah. a lot of developers are now using uh, things like ChatGPT to to analyze code, yeah. <laughs> and and of yeah, course yeah, yeah. that ultimately you know becomes uh, you know eventually public <laughs> because you can now query, and if it's actually getting embedded into its machine learning and into its actually data source, all of a sudden now you can start asking questions about you know code that it's been actually analyzing. Um, yeah, for sure. So another another interesting way that uh, I've heard you know a lot of reports that companies are now asking their employees not to to go and, and, and put code or actually analyze it and things like ChatGPT. Well, employees never do things that they've been told <laughs> not to do, so that's foolproof. Absolutely. But did you know, this is a bit of a side note, do you know ChatGTP got a bug bounty last week? Oh, did, uh, I didn't know, no. Yeah, yeah. so our, our I mean, this is, a, this is a bit of a left field thing, but it was actually a, a, a guy that was asked to evaluate EDR solutions Mm -hmm. And one of the ways he wanted to see, hey, if I create malware that's designed to bypass this, can I uh, can I bypass some of these mm -hmm. solutions as a way of evaluating them? He didn't know how to write malware, so he asked ChatGPT. You have to trick it. <laughs> you have it to trick it. Do it's, it initially. It's, it's a special way. A special way yeah, of asking ChatGPT to do something. <laughs> well, you just kind of have to go. Hey, can you give me an example of something that does this? And then you've got to work through it from there. But eventually, it spat it out. He managed to bypass 
uh, some EDR solutions and then submitted it to their bug bounty program with <laughs> malware that ChatGTP wrote and uh, got a payment of, I think it was $650. So like, a, okay. you know, not that's a $50 pretty, it's, bug. It's, it's pretty good. If you can automate that, yeah. that's, that's the impressive part. If you can take that to the next stage, because uh, yeah. I, I myself, I use I use ChatGPT a lot for things like uh, to create the base of a of a code from myself, you know, to with mm-hmm. certain parameters and outlines. But of course, I had to change it quite a bit in order to get it, you know, get it working fully functional. Yes, but I do see this as a way uh, to do a lot more automation, uh, to do things in a, you know a way to even getting going and searching for things. So it might be even an interesting area for 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 to go and discover secrets. You, yeah, definitely. And I'm sure and chat GDP is great at things that humans aren't. Humans aren't good at discovering secrets because they're buried in code. Um, you know, but the things like chat GDP and other analyzers out there. Well, what we think at Guardian is that the problem of detecting secrets mm-hmm. will be solved from the from from the engine point of view. So uh, Guardian has uh, what we consider the, the best secrets detection engine that's available on the market. We have put lots of resources into this. We believe that in a few years that that's not going to be novel. Mm. That Because with AI, with machine learning, with the huge data sets that we have, we're going to be able to get to a point that's really high accuracy and everyone will have that. Um, so that's, I mean, so that's really interesting. And these are the areas where AI, so it's going to be helpful. It's going to be harmful and helpful at the same time, and I think you have to use it. You have to be absolutely. You, you have you have to be knowledgeable about you kind know, of where, where your data is and where your credentials yeah. are and where your access is coming from. You had to, you know, you, you're you're better doing it proactively than waiting and you know and, and, and to find out when when something goes wrong, uh, because ultimately that's that's the abuse that happens. Um, question: What what types of you know? malicious activities can be done when those secrets are, are obtained. You know, of course, you know, getting an API could allow an attacker to extract, you know, data from a database or it could allow mm-hmm. them to put some, you know, code into, um, or even if they've got access to, they could even check in their own code into those repositories as well if they, they have the ability to do commits. Um, what are yeah. other types of activities you're seeing uh, malicious actors uh, doing when, when they're able to discover secrets? De- definitely. I, there's a couple of ways to kind of go in here. An interesting experiment that I've done quite recently is leaking a honey token into into GitHub, which is a token that will kind of give me information about people trying to, that are exploiting it. So we can basically watch what hackers do. What they do when they find a, a credential is they automate through a process of like, hey, is this valid? That's number one. And then they kind of go through, so if it's like an Amazon key, it's like, does this have access to S3 buckets? Does this have access to that? Can I create a user? Mm-hmm. So regardless of the type of secret, when an attacker finds something, they're going to be doing a couple of things initially. So they're going to do reconnaissance of what does this give me access to? And then they're going to move to how can I persist my access? Mm-hmm. So can if this secret gives me access to, let's say, a code repository, can I find more secrets in that code repository? Can I create a new user for myself? Can I do all these different things? Because they kind of at the moment I'm relying on this key that grants me access into something. That could be how can I move into time. different systems? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 How can I move into a different system? How can I ensure that that my access is going to persist? How can I elevate my privileges? So that's what, what's going mm-hmm. to happen. And this kind of brings us off into the you know the other area of attacks where let's say that a secret is not the initial point of access then 
once an attacker is in your network, in your code, in a backup file, mm -hmm. in, in somewhere, then one of the first things they're going to do is enumerate through all your data to try and find more secrets. Mm -hmm. Why? Because when you have a secret, you're correctly authenticated. If you break down a door, you're going to set off an alarm. But if you have yep. a key for that door, then no one's going to be suspicious. It's exactly the same in IT. You're working within the expected parameters. So therefore, no one really knows that you're in there. So you can squat. You can kind of do your reconnaissance. The stealthy, the stealthy scenario. Stealthy. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I will say it's 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 one of the kind of you know attackers prefer to be able to live off the land and reuse your you know credentials and access because the moment mm -hmm. they create anything new, they create ripples in the in the in the water. You know, and you're always looking for that, yeah. that noise. And uh, the most stealthiest methods are the preferred methods. Um, and it allows them to typically stay around for a much longer period of time, so they can do a lot more you know, reconnaissance and and look for a lot more sensitive data and to learn more and to look for ways to elevate. So um, definitely keys, which would basically allow the attacker to you know you know come in under the disguise of an application or a, or a system or an access that they would typically see commonly, um, and they're mm. disguising sometimes even the path and the route into those organizations. Uh, so absolutely, this is this is the most preferred method, um, I believe, from attackers because it allows them to, to remain undetected for as long as they possibly can. Yeah, exactly. And, and secrets are just a, a fantastic way of being able to remain undetected, especially if you kind of don't have the additional elements of zero trust set up. Mm -hmm. So you haven't restricted IP scopes or, you know, there's, there's, there's other other types of authentication going on in the background, which the honor they when we look at security, we have all these elements like zero trust, and they're mm. all great. And when you put them in, like multi-factor authentication, you know. But the reality is that we still, where the the standard is so far from the bleeding edge mm -hmm. of what we have, is that people always say, "Well, isn't this a solved problem?" It's like, well, it could almost be a solved problem if we correctly utilized everything and. If every organization had an unlimited security fund, then yes, yeah, yeah we've got Absolutely. we have the technology to be able to do it, but we just the reality isn't there yet. Yeah, no, it was it was interesting. So recently, you know, I did a a webinar with RSA that was just a recap of my talk from RSA last year, which was it was all about ransomware, and one of the questions that the audience had was that. Um, you know, what would be some of the steps and methods that maybe this organization who became a victim of a major ransomware attack could have prevented it? And ultimately, what would happen was when you go through all of the forensics and the logs and everything, one of the biggest things was that initial access. And the initial mm -hmm. access itself, it came from an authenticated credential. And that credential, we still don't know how that credential was done, whether it was through, you know, password reuse or whether it was through, you know, credential compromise or phishing or there's many different ways that, you know, the attackers can, yeah. can gain access and discover those secrets. But ultimately, when you look at the logs and that first ever initial access, so, for example, the accountant um, who was accessing this machine uh, whose credentials were compromised, um, they were coming all the time from a known IP address. The IP address was always the same, roughly, um, all the time, accessing the server. And then all of a sudden, um, the malicious actor had to access their credentials. And they came and they accessed uh, the same RDP from a known Tor exit node, which is basically known um, to have a malicious reputation. 
And then right. a couple of months later, saying they, they verified the credentials, they double checked it, made sure it was still working, made sure it was still um, something. That, of course, they were likely an access broker looking to sell on that access later. Um, mm-hmm. But again, another um, IP address that was coming from an exit uh, node that was known to be malicious. So you end up, and the question is that if if that organization had been looking through those, you know, there is technology that goes and look, it looks at the reputation. Um, of IP addresses for suspicious, even just to get notification on it, um, mm-hmm. would give them at least something. But as, as your your point is, is that all these technologies are out there. Um, you know, you know why we haven't adopted many of them. Why is organ Why is organizations still continually uh, falling to these you know, sometimes simple uh, types of attacks? Um, and what you know, what what things can they do to prevent them? What what some of the the better practices? Um, that you know, doesn't mean they have to have every single technology under the sun, <laughs> because I don't think, I don't think you know, when, when, when security budget is more than what the, the revenue profit of the organization makes, uh, yeah, that's yeah. not what you know, it's not going to happen. No, I mean, it's exactly right, and it's, di- I mean, there's so many, it's, it's such a difficult equation because you know, on one side you're like, hey, there's all these tools that could prevent it, and the other side is like, yes, but we're inundated by security notifications as it is. We don't mm-hmm. have the team to be able to investigate it. But if we look at, at secrets, it's like, what are the most common ways mm-hmm. uh, that these secrets actually you know, leak out? The, the number one, where it happens is through source code. It, and we're, we're generally talking about machine-to-machine secrets mm-hmm. rather than human secrets. Yes. Because if we're talking about human secrets, then we're, we're, then the answer is, is phishing campaigns. Correct. Um, but, but when we're talking about technology, it's source code. It's the leakiest asset. And we have private source code. And like I've talked a lot today about public spaces, but private mm-hmm. source code is much scarier than public. The reason being is is that we're uh, comforted behind this very flimsy layer of authentication when it comes to source code. Now, mm-hmm. the problem isn't really authentication here because source code isn't designed to be sensitive. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a case that it, you know it really shouldn't matter too much if your your source code is open sourced, but the, we have behind this this level of authentication, but so many people need to access it. So many people have access to it. It's really hard to lock it down and I wouldn't really mm-hmm. recommend it. So one, one thing we need to do is we need to make sure that source code doesn't have secrets in it. Yes, so hard coded yeah, or, or static. Yeah. Anything that's, anything that's you know, persistent uh, yeah. should, you know, that, that's, the, that's definitely one of the main areas is to get rid of that. Absolutely. And it's super easy for it to happen because people go, oh, no, we have code reviews. We, we check everything. Now, a secret wouldn't end up. But at this, it's, it's, much, you know, it's, it's much more common than that because mm-hmm. you know, imagine a scenario you have a developer working on a development branch, and he's just trying to quickly get some database connected, something to work. Hard codes mm-hmm. are like, yeah, we're going to remove it later. Hard codes that guess it's working. Yeah, they've removed it. 30 commits later, that feature, that segment, is now ready to merge into the main branch. Code review happens. You're not going to review every draft someone and every mistake someone made along the way. No, you're just going to review the very latest the latest version. It gets pulled in. No one sees a secret. It's in the history. You've got to remember that when when most security vulnerabilities, they exist in the in the final version of the code. If I have cross-site scripting vulnerability in my code, I fix it, I update it. That doesn't exist anymore. Secrets persist for the lifetime of that, that secret is valid. If it's in the history and it's valid, it's a risk. So we need to make sure that secrets are not in there. How we do this, there's no magic bullet. 
there's education that we need to make sure that we don't that developers know not to do this ever and how git works and why it's a mm-hmm. risk we need to be using secrets managers and and something about secrets managers is there's some great products out there hashicorp vault in, in my opinion is probably one of the best tools for managing secrets but if you're a team of 10 it's not going to be the tool for you because it's too heavy like mm-hmm. it has two you know so you have to try and find what what is the correct tool for you to use that your team is actually going to use and that you have resources in place to manage it correctly because maybe it's not going to be something like vault that you're self-hosting um yeah. and then and then of course scanning for these secrets yourself you need to be notified when these secrets enter in your source code they're going to enter in you can put in something simple like a git hook on your developers machines so if your commit has a secret in it it gets blocked mm-hmm. it doesn't enter the source code so there's these things that you, you we can you can do um and, and a cool resource that we wrote is their secrets um uh, the secrets management maturity model it's basically okay. just a, a survey that you can take to see like hey where, whereabouts are you in in this, how much how much of a risk is your organization yeah. having at leaking out these secrets? And it's, I think there's like twenty questions or something about, or maybe less than that, and it will kind mm-hmm. of give you uh, what 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 is your maturity level in managing secrets? What's your what's your current state in 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 that level? Yeah, um, you know what 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 you're doing and what you're not doing and what you should be doing. You know exactly, yeah, and, and what areas because it's not like mm-hmm. you're either good or bad, right? It's, okay, this is a good area, and this is. Does, does question you know from a lot of the research and stuff that you've been doing what about you know, a lot of organizations you know developers are not always you know direct employees they're they're third party sources mm-hmm. um they're external they're you know um third suppliers um you know is that a major risk that you're seeing in organizations when they're basically just you know getting code um from 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 third party sources yeah, huge risk. So, like the, in the managed service provider mm-hmm. avenue, it's so when we're talking, well, I talked about Toyota before. So that was mm-hmm. from a, a service provider that wasn't mm-hmm. theirs, and this is why this this gets really interesting for lots of for lots of reasons. Mm-hmm. Organizations don't have visibility often into their 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 consultants, their MSPs, and what they're mm-hmm. doing. Um, so when it comes to like leaks on GitHub and and areas like that, it's it's this is, all happens outside of your visibility. All of mm-hmm. it. It could be an employee from an MSP that pushed something public that you don't know about. So th- it's a it's a big risk um, to be able to do it. So you know we need to be careful in there in the providers that we're mm-hmm. choosing and that they actually accept that this is a risk. Um, because if someone says to you, "Oh no, that's not a risk for us. We wouldn't do that," then that's definitely the biggest risk that you, that you have is, mm-hmm. is definitely that. Uh, so you know, just making sure that we're we're all understanding that this is a risk, and then getting visibility into you know what mm-hmm. kind of mapping out your perimeter and your risk factors, your attack surface, and including things that are outside of your control. You need to be able to be aware of that. Absolutely. You can make sure that, you know, well, while you might have good practices in place uh, for your own developers, um, I've seen, I've seen a lot of developers copy paste. (laughs) And and sometimes, you know, when you're just copying, um, you know, code with secrets into your own code repository with secrets, and and it's not always a good good way uh, to to get kind of get things done. Um, so what what things can what what are some of the best places for organizations to start and what would be the first kind of stepping point you know, of being able to go down the path of of uh, you know getting in control of secrets? Yeah. So the first thing that you need to do is uh, understand your 
your your risk. So look and scan your infrastructure. So your source code, your networks, uh, other areas. There's vendors that do that, like GitGuardian, but there's also open source tools if you don't have budget for it, right? You know, that um, where you're going to need more advanced tools is when you get really big as an organization. So understand your 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 vulnerabilities. So scan your repositories, your networks, and, and get visibility into it. It's going to be shocking. Uh, we typically find that the average organization size um, of 400 developers is so still quite small. So but mm-hmm. 400 developers, maybe 1,000 employees. Uh, they will typically have around about 1,000 secrets in their repositories. <laughs> thousand unique secrets 13,000 total secrets is typically what we find so you kind of need to get visibility over that and then there becomes this oh crap moment because it's kind of like now that we're aware of the problem we have to do something about it Um, so you need to put in place good remediation then you're going to need to stop the bleeding so why did this happen when you get visibility you can say hey these are the teams that are leaking why are they leaking Oh, maybe we're not using the correct secrets manager. Maybe we're not using the right amount of tools. Maybe how we're trans, how we're sharing these secrets is through Slack. Mm-hmm. You know, what, whatever it is, yeah. once you have visibility, you can <laughs> plug your holes. And then you need to layer on backups. So once we've got visibility, we have correct tooling in place to be able to manage secrets. We need to be able to monitor in real time when a leak happens mm-hmm. and remediate the leaks that have happened. And remediating... I mean, it sounds like, hey, if we find the secrets, we can solve it. Remediation, especially at scale, is probably mm-hmm. one of the most difficult things because you're involving multiple parties. So you, you really need to look into the remediation process of it. But that's basically the steps that you can take to try and identify and fix the system. Identify the vulnerabilities, use mm-hmm. the correct tools to be able to find it, and then remediate and monitor in real time when they happen. Because they will continue to happen no matter what you do, but we just need yep. to be aware of that. Yeah. Yeah, you absolutely need to be aware of the risk and then, you know, make sure you've got uh, tools in place that definitely allow you to monitoring um, that type of thing. So, you know, one of the things that we've been doing even at Delinea is around the ability to, to make sure that you're replacing those hard coding tokens with uh, basically on-demand, uh, you know, temporary tokens that yeah. allow you to get access and you check out those tokens temporarily in order to perform an action. Um, so it's definitely a way to make sure. And it's it gets you away from that, you know, static persistence uh, secrets, exactly. which is which is what the kind of the, the major challenge is, is that when those secrets are out there and they're persistent, and uh, you would need to change everything uh, in order to remediate it, um, uh, moving to more temporary base keys um, that has additional security controls and monitoring in place will definitely give at least organizations much better visibility um, and mm-hmm. know uh, what things they can do in order to reduce the risk as well. So absolutely, so. <laughs> Dynamic secrets are, are amazing. You know, like there's a few vendors that do that now. Like Vault's been doing it for a while, but I also think Akeelis, which is another secrets manager, mm. you know, has has features like this. I I really think that this is got to be. It doesn't solve the the issue completely because we have long life secrets behind short life secrets. But it does. Yep. But I mean, like, hey, we before we can solve it, we need to get better. And and this is a big step towards it. No, it's, it's very cool. Yeah, definitely allows you to move away from having it, uh, you know, having to change everything on the edge, <laughs> everything in the code, yeah. <laughs> um, where you can actually have a little bit more centralization uh, and visibility into how those secrets are being used, when they're being uh, rotated, um, how many machines have actually, actually you know, been, uh, and code has been actually communicating with itself. It gives yeah. you much better visibility. And it's also one of those things where at least, you know, um, I think the, the big challenge here is not only 
know, getting it from the Cisco, but we're also, you know, moving uh, it into DevSecOps and DevOps. We're just getting into configuration files. That's all about basically doing, you know, code on demand, uh, code, you know, basically serverless uh, and uh, codeless uh, uh, infrastructures. Uh, and it all ends up being in configuration files as well. So we have to make sure that not only is it just about uh, in the developers, but also in the operational side when developers are actually, you know, getting the code into production. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you bring up some 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 great points there. And the one thing that I will say, you know, that I didn't mention before is, even if you're not got dynamic secrets, have a plan mm -hmm. in place to rotate secrets regularly, because this actually does a couple of things. One is it means that the secrets, uh, obviously, if they do get leaked in code, they will be rotated and and worthless yep. soon. But it also means that you actually know how to do it. So that if one does leak <laughs> publicly, then you're like, oh, we know what this key does. We know how to rotate it. Because if a key, nothing worse than if a key leaks, it's like, hey, what does this key do? It's like, I, we have no idea. And like, okay, <laughs> should we rotate it? Are we going to break everything? Like, that happens. When, that's when the happens, scary part. That's yeah. the scary part for organizations. And that's yeah. sometimes why they don't rotate keys is that they don't know what they're going to break. They don't know what the relationship Actually, or the, yeah. um, you know, the functionality of, of harmony, you know, what does that key need to be the same in different places? Um, so that's one of the things actually in, in Delinea as well, what we've done as well as uh, dependency mapping of services, which use you know keys to, to communicate with different resources and then making sure that you have the ability to rotate them all in the right time in the right places. Because uh, I came from, you know, my, my background uh, many years ago was in backup and recovery and backup solutions. Um, and when that key wasn't right in all of the right places, uh, your backups weren't working. You couldn't recover. You know, reports started the mm. failure. Um, so, and people were afraid to rotate those credentials, but, uh, once you have visibility into the dependency of those, you can do it much more, uh, let's say calmly and safely without worrying that you're going to break the application very quickly. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. So it's been fantastic having you on the episode today. And I think it's really important to kind of people get more visibility into, uh, the importance of keys, uh, and secrets and where they can be discovered, um, what things they can do. Uh, any final words of wisdom that you want to share with the audience into, you know, um, you know any, any good resources that they can go to? You mentioned the report um, that you'd uh, yep. released. Uh, you know, where, where, where would it be a good place for them to get the report and, and take a look at that? Definitely. Git Guardian does a, a lot of research into this topic. It writes a lot of white papers. Um, so the gitguardian.com is where we have a great resources page. Um, the blog.gitguardian.com is also great. We publish every day on our blog or just about. Um, with with uh, news and topics and trends and tutorials and and everything and it's quite uh, agnostic uh, vendor agnostic in there so they're great resources to 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 check out and uh, I think that will be my my final words of wisdom will be to, <laughs> to, to to try and you know just educate yourself around this problem because it, it is it is growing um, and it unfortunately it's uh, affecting everyone in the industry. Absolutely. Very wise. And we'll make sure to put them in the show notes uh, so that everyone can get easy access to them. And the last question I've got is that, you know, what's, do you go back to the circus these days or not? Or, <laughs> what, what's, um, you know, are you afraid of circuses or what, what's, <laughs> you know, I used to have, I used to be able to do so many fun tricks. And as I've gotten older, and like I, these tricks only really come out after a few beers, but I've I've really started injuring myself. So like I try to avoid all my old circus tricks and days. You know? When I was thirteen, you know, your bones were bendy. 
but now I, <laughs> I don't think they I don't think it but you know it would be cool to try and to try and brush up on some of the tricks again I might uh, you know we'll, maybe at we'll, RSA this year I will try and put you to the test for that we'll, we'll see <laughs> for sure <laughs> so but it's fantastic having you on the show and really you know fantastic and for the audience hopefully uh, you've got a better idea around you know the challenges that many organizations have around secrets that are kept in a lot of you know source code and repositories you know whether it being private or, or, or public um, whether it being you know synced and, and backed up on, on you know, employees and developers devices so it's really important that you get a visibility and uh, get started on uh, taking a look and how you can manage and uh, reduce the risk today so Mackenzie it's been fantastic having you on the, on the show today uh, thank you hopefully you know, we'll be able to have you on back again in the future and for the audience this is the 401 access tonight podcast I'm Joe Carson the host of the show uh, it's been a pleasure uh, again, tune in every two weeks. Even go back and take a look at previous episodes if you want to find out more about some of the previous guests that have been on the show. So thank you. Stay safe and take care. Goodbye. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrary for Business by going to www.cybrary.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Delinea. Dicotic and Centrify are now Delinea, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit delinea.com.